Hi, this is Anna Muskie-Goldwyn, co-founder of Political Playlist, and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Political Playlist Happy Hour. Today, we're going to share a conversation that Anthony and I had with Aaron Velardi, who is the CEO of an organization called Vote Run Lead, which helps women run for office. We had this conversation months ago when Political Playlist first launched, but it seems more relevant than ever as more women are getting elected and more women are thinking about getting involved. Please excuse the not-so-great audio quality as this was done before the podcast days, but we think it's a conversation that's worth sharing, and we really hope that you enjoy. You are going to vote tomorrow in the election. The millennial generation is the biggest, biggest, biggest generation. But a political revolution of the millennial. Welcome to Political Playlist. Playlist. <laughs> All right, are we ready, guys? Happy Happy, happy hour. Hour. <laughs> for joining us i'm sorry about the sort of like that was my fault um but we i'm anna and this is anthony we're the co-founders of political playlist um and aaron vardy we are so excited to talk to you thank you Um, you you. are the founder and ceo of vote run lead um and i was you know looking through the organization and you've reached over thirty-six thousand women at vote run lead um which is just a massive amount of um, women getting involved in politics, which is really exciting. Um, I know as a millennial woman, I feel especially <laughs> tied to that mission. Um, and Anthony has uh, a lot of strong women in his family, so I think <laughs> so he does too. Um, but you know, just to kick off, I, we wanted to really focus on since at Political Playlist we do focus on young politicians. Um, we wanted to really talk about the role of millennial women in politics and kind of how at Vote Run Lead, you've seen that evolution begin of people, you know, younger women kind of taking charge. And so just to kick off, can you give a little bit of background about what Vote Run Lead is, what you guys do, and sort of how that mission came to be? Yes, absolutely. Thank you both for having me. Uh, Vote Run Lead trains women to run for office and win. Um, you know, we, the training is great, but they've, you know, when they run, they've got to actually succeed. Um, and we are the nation's largest nonpartisan training program for women. Um, having trained now, um, I think this year with the digital, we also added another 15,000 women who took courses. Um, you know, it's a little bit different in a pandemic. So how do we count them? We're trying to figure that out. Um, but you know, tens of thousands of women have, um, taken the curriculum and, um, we are, you know, are seeing hundreds of women run each year, um, but it's that really big funnel, right, that you have to reach so many more women that actually decide to run. So we're really looking at those massive efforts of how we get more women to run for those 520,000 seats that are available in an American democracy for folks yeah. to run for. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. We do see a more of the... Um, you know, millennial women, I, I like to call myself an elder millennial, um, born in 81. <laughs> so I'm totally in the cutoff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think we, you know, we are finding that the, I, I would say it's probably like late twenties to early forties. Yeah. Is, is really the bulk of women who we are engaging with. Um, you know, a lot of older women come on, but a lot of the older women that do come on, especially for these webinars that we saw this year, 
were really looking to figure out how they helped other women, how they helped young women of color run for office, where to send their 25 bucks across the country for folks who were different, right? Exactly the kind of population I think Political Playlist is talking about. Um, how do we get below this federal level office? Um, and that's really our focal point. 95% of the women we have are running for state and local office. Number one office they're running for is state legislature um, and they're winning. Our win rate is comparable to other, you know, PACs and folks that put a lot more, uh, you know, sort of horse betting on their candidates, where we really do have that wide net for folks to come in and learn and to be the, um, what we like to call the unusual suspect. Hmm. So, I, you know, we, we recently saw a, a pretty strong uptick in women, you know, running and, you know, your organization has really helped, helped that uh, proceed, you know, but uh, what would you attribute to some of the uh, more women running? Um, you know, have you heard from some of the people in your organization? Uh, they're they're honing on on a specific reason, and we're still in the numbers. We're about you know seventy percent men, thirty percent women still. You know, in in local, state, and federal yes. level. So love to hear about that. Yeah. So when you get out to see some of these rural areas, you're actually seeing there's still places that have no women on their city councils and their county commissions and things like that. So there's still plenty of plenty of work to do. I'll, I'll have a job for a little while. That's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to I don't want to discount the um, the impact that the election of Donald Trump had in 2016. Right. Um, and the, the couple of things that we heard immediately following that were one, a man with no political or military background was able to be the highest officer, uh, you know, elected official in the land. Um, and that really, for women, had kind of a reversal around qualifications, which research used to tell us women, you know, continue to be, but it's less so, sort of feeling they have to be overly qualified, whether it's politics or in, you know, job applications. But they really saw somebody who did not have traditional qualifications. Um, and beat someone who did have all the traditional qualifications. So a little bit was sort of popping your head up and looking at your local council, seeing that it hadn't changed, seeing that your state legislature had legislator had been there for 30 years and still using his photograph from, you know, when he was 15 years younger. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, like a dating, it's like a dating profile. Like, yeah, they need to change like that. that. Totally. So that they, um, you know, they were like, I could do that, right? I can do mm -hmm. that. You know, if, if this guy can do this, I can be in my city council. I can run for the state legislature. And there was a moment of sort of righteous anger. There was, you know, and that continues, I think. There was also this, um, we think, a sort of a misperception that more progress had been made. And so when they did look around and saw that there wasn't that much change, it was like, it has to be me, right? Um, I can't wait for somebody. I don't, I, there's not some other batch of women who are doing this. Um, and there were some serious threats to women's rights. There was some th serious threats to our democracy. Um, this really never got reported, but we did hear a lot about how women in our community felt about the Russian interference, right? That the election integrity was a big deal for our community, and that felt um, you know, felt very robbed of something, right? Both 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 on the sort of popular vote, which you know now I've been through three, uh, you know, two elections uh, that where a president was elected without the popular vote, but for a lot of younger people. This was their first time sort of saying, what is the Electoral College? You know, what is this sort of interference? Um, and people just tuned in to civics. And women were raising their hands to say, I'll run for office. Previously, 
we had folks who were like, oh, I'm going to dabble in this, or my friend said I should come to your training. But now you had women say, I'm going to run for office. Show me how. And that's been a pretty steady trend. Mm. That's so interesting. I'm curious, you know, you you spoke a lot about uh, sort of this, like, fire that women felt. And I think, you know, I can definitely relate to that. And I, I wanted to sort of get like the flip side of it, which is that, you know, obviously to achieve gender parity in the, in office, we need to have women from both sides of the aisle. Um, and I, I'm curious, you know, I can speak as a woman. I feel like we have different communication skills and different ways of getting things done just sort of by nature and by nurture and all of that. I'm curious, you know, do you think that women have a specific like superpower when it comes to being a different kind of politician, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat um, that is sort of built into us or kind of imbued in us as we're growing up? I think the skill um, that women leaders are bringing to leadership and politics and actually probably other sectors is the listening skill, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Well, I created something with the Athena um, Center for Leadership Studies at Barnard College, which is uh, over at Columbia University. And we put listening on as one of our top 10 leadership skills because we felt that some of these like HBR, you know, these Harvard Business Review, um, the research had said that you know, uh, women bosses were better at all of this stuff, except for visioning and decision making, which is baloney, right? You can't do the other things without visioning and decision making. But what might be the perception of that? Um, And we see this in research from, you know, political scientists that women tend to listen to their constituents, they tend to hold more town halls, they tend to have um, better communication with their constituents, better constituent services, they um, are more likely to get divergent viewpoints before making a decision. Um, And so maybe that appears to be less decisive because you're getting a lot, you're getting your full constituency's POV. Um, We would call that leadership, right? Sort of when you're elected with 51% of the vote, you still have to go represent the other 49. So um, I think that, I I, I do think that is something that women take very seriously in their leadership. I would be remiss though if I didn't mention that there is deep, deep hyperpolarization right now that is really turning a lot of this on its head. Mm. Where we always knew that as you ran for high office, like Congress or a governorship, um, that uh, partisanship would start would start to trump gender, right? That it, right. we would lose that, and we we have seen that erosion with the sort of nationalization of our political parties. Um, luckily, there's still good examples all across the country where, you know, folks are running for nonpartisan seats or they're a Dem because everyone in the county is a Dem or they're an R because everyone in the county is an R, you know, it's sort of less of their identity. Um, But we, you know, in the last four years, there has, this effect has not, um, you know, this this hyperpolarization has definitely also affected women's leadership. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to that point, I know, you know, so many women come through your your guys' organization and they might not feel that they fit in a certain box to run for office. And I, I recently saw that in style magazine called you a badass woman. And the more, the more I looked into you, I was like, man, she's, she is a badass. And the reason that spoke to me is about a year ago during a speech at a wedding, this was pre COVID, obviously someone called my grandma a badass woman. And I was like, yeah, she is. And it made me, 
you know, it made me reflect on the women in my life, my mother, my sister, uh, women, cousins, and aunts who have been such an influence in my life who might not realize they are badass women. And, um, you know, Anna, Anna's one too, but you know, (laughs) what, what's your, you know, advice to these women who come to you and don't feel that they fit in this box to run for office? Yeah, we, we did a lot of self-exploration around that following the, the, you know, the year of 2017 where we had, you know, 1,100 women signing up for a webinar where maybe 50 women would sign up previously or, you know, our our national conferences were hundreds of women as opposed, you know, quickly. Um, and we developed a curriculum called Run As You Are. And it really is um, an expression of our values in that we believe that women are enough um, and that as you come to us, you are not um, going to go through some major transformation. Um, and it's, instead, we're going to take the things that you have, um, skills you've honed in different industries, the energy you have as a young woman, um, and we're going to translate that, not transform it. We're going to translate that into some political skills and teach you how to use your skills as a maybe a chatty hairdresser who owns her, you know, owns that small business. To that's how you door knock. That's how you, you know, that's a good skill for when you're going around and connecting with voters. You have an authentic way of speaking. Um, so really making those direct line connections for women to run as they are, um, because it, the so much of what we're taught as girls and young women is, you know, to sort of be small, not take up a lot of room, you know, to do it in this particular model that has almost exclusively been a male leadership model. So it gave women a lot of breathing room walk into a space or to join a, a, you know, a a digital, you know, conference where we are not saying, oh, by the end of this, you're going to walk out another person, right? We are saying everything that you're walking in with is exactly what you need to run for office. And that other stuff like how to raise money, you know, how to tap your networks, how to set up constant contact, like those are the things that we can teach you. But we can't teach women to have fire in their belly. You know, we can't teach them to have passion. Um, and we can't teach them to believe in themselves, right? That's a, a light switch that has to go off for them. But we can create the conditions that um, really change how we think of ourselves, you know, and the things that we think as a vulnerabilities, how do we talk about them as strengths, right? Because every weakness is a strength, every strength is a weakness, right? And so really just thinking about how those skills can manifest in uh, in politics and running for office, because you're you're talking to your neighbors, you're serving your community, um, you're, you're allocating resources in a way that you see best, um, you know, to, to help all of those things we do, um, in our everyday lives and, and a part of our, our jobs or our community service. And so making that connection has been, has been really part of the magic at Boat Run Lead. Oh my God. I love, it's too, I too love hard that. to fake, you know, fake yourself as well. Right. Yeah, and then of course there's a little bit of like fake it till you make it, yeah. right? Yeah. A little bit of, but I, I also think like, like Right. And like, right. <laughs> apparently that idea of fake it till you make it has always been something that's been seen as like a male skill of like the sort of con artist who can, you know, I mean, that's like the extreme, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that we're seeing more and more examples of fake it till you make it like isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just throwing yourself into like a risk pool that you may have not previously considered. And, you know, I can, I can totally relate to just that idea of being like, I mean, even when we started political playlist, I was like, 
I don't really know if like, this is something that fits for me, like mm-hmm. this is a business, that's not how my brain, you know, you have all these like reasons that you shouldn't do something. And I feel like that's, such that's a why you have me, Anna. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. You know, like you do have to surround your pe- yourself with people yeah. who will push you a little bit, who will tell you that you're awesome, who will tell you that, you know, would you, you would never give yourself this advice. You would never yeah. give your friend this advice. You would never talk to about your girlfriend the way you're talking about yourself right now. Right. Um, and it's very freeing. Uh, and part of it is, um, you know, at, at the heart of it, it's about power, right? About, about your own agency. Um, and that can be a little bit scary, you know? So you have to, you know, we put other role models in front of them. We make sure they see folks who have had similar journeys or unusual journeys, um, folks who have taken really deep plunges and, you know, maybe lost the first time, but then came back around. So you, you, you know, you can't just tell someone this, you have to show them, you have to put them in community with others. You have to give them those hard skills. So it is that sort of combination of head and heart. Uh, we had a conversation with um, Congress or Anthony spoke to Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs, who was just elected in California, and she had lost her first time around. And her message just about like how to persevere through that was, I thought, such a great um, learning lesson. But I wanted to you said something that, you know, capitalizing on your different skills. And one of the skills you mentioned is like, is it your energy as a, as a young person? And I think that like across the board, we've seen young energy really like injecting itself into the political system, which is amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, like what, what do you see in young women specifically? You know, I have had so many conversations with my mom about, just the different perception of what it's like to be a woman kind of stepping into power now versus a woman stepping into power, you know, when she was my age. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom is like a certifiable badass, but, but what are the, what are some of the things that you really see sprouting up in people in our generation that are quite different from women who are older, who are running for office? I think what I, you know, let's take Lauren Underwood, who was a congresswoman from Illinois. Um, who is, when she was elected as part of the 2018 class, was the youngest black woman ever elected to Congress. And um, we're we're proud to have her part of our community. I think one of the unique things that she did that is attributable to how young women are running for political office is she did not take the traditional advice of politicos and campaigners that said, hey, as a young black woman, you need to be getting out the vote in the suburbs around Chicago, right? Uh, Six of her seven counties or seven of her eight counties, something like that, are rural. Um, And instead, she said, no, I'm going to talk to all of these folks in rural communities um, that covered District 14. And you can see it in her um, documentary, I think it's Surge. Um, And it's a great documentary, check it out. You'll be totally crying inspired by the end. Um, Where she is in diners and she is the only, what appears to be, you know, the only black person or one of a very few. Um, And she is talking to communities who have never talked to uh, someone of her party before. Uh, They just said, you know, a Democrat has never come out here. I would have no reason to vote for a Democrat. They have written us off. Um, And she had a very well-funded challenger this year who still is like, oh, the voters, you know, all that garbage. Um, But because she put in that groundwork of doing the 
the sort of the game differently of uh, focusing on the people and not just the tactics. Um, I find that to be something very refreshing that I think young women are bringing to public office and bringing to campaigning. Um, you know, the young women who um, were the 20 something campaign managers for Mikey Sherrill in New Jersey, you know, just not going to do this sort of politics as usual um, because how often has that worked for young women? How often has that worked for older women? Right? So <laughs> they're looking at the data <laughs> and they're saying like, let's try something else. Mm. Um, and it's working and it's working when uh, I think you have a more human centered approach to political life and to why you want to serve. Um, and also we know that younger people have to talk about their credentials, especially younger women have to talk about their credentials a little bit more. So having that face-to-face -face meeting, getting some of that intimacy um, and having some of that emotional resonance with voters instead of just a flyer, it's really going to make the difference also for young women, you know, getting, getting the votes they need. And just not counting people out, having having a little bit of faith, I think, generation. You know, and there's some stuff like being digital natives helps, yeah. you know, um, being more open about your personal life by growing up <laughs> on social media helps, right? Because you're less afraid, I think, of something being revealed or, uh, <laughs> yeah. So there, there's some just general benefits built into the, the youth of all of this. But um, I do think the way that young women are engaging voters um, – and sort of bucking the political, you know, how it's always been done mantra is really what what's helping them. You just said something kind of interesting to me about opening up about your personal life. You know, do you go through sort of this like check and balances with some of these candidates and go, hey, you know, what could come out that you think is going to reflect badly to the, um, you know, constituents? And is this anything like we need to help you with, you know, you know, work through and be prepared for. One of the big things I think that co sort of coincided was the Me Too movement, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, you saw a real shift in how um, women candidates had a, a, a reclaiming of being survivors of yes. either sexual assault or some other, um, you know, some other area where they were a victim. Um, and so that we really began to talk about how you message that um, and, and how you speak at all of this from a place of strength. So this is really about speaking from a place of strength. If it's something that you can talk about um, without breaking down, then you can talk about it on the campaign trail, right? If it's something that you're not ready to talk about, then you're not ready to talk about it. Um, but how can you diffuse the situation using humor? Um, how do you hit back hard with an op-ed immediately following something that feels overly sexist or um, is sort of using your gender in a negative way? Um, the intersections of racism and sexism for our women of color candidates. Um, and what are some of the tactics that we're seeing work and what are some of their comfort levels? Um, I love to talk about Tashara Jones, who is um, the city treasurer for St. Louis, but now running for mayor. You know, she just <laughs> she just sort of sets her own terms around the racism and sexism that comes from some of the major newspapers in St. Louis. Um, you know, either writing up ads or refusing to sit in front of the editorial board, using her Facebook page hilariously. Um, you know, I, I follow her just to sort of get a, um, you know, she, she's not afraid to poke the bear when the bear is sort of coming at her. Um, so there are role models also of seeing women who 
again, are not going to play by the rules that say, oh, don't, you know, have voters know you're a woman. It's like, okay, well, I'm not sure how they do it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm so, or I'm, I'm a mom, I have a kid. Um, but the other, the other component we really talk about is, you know, setting up your political calendar. You put, you know, if Thanksgiving is your favorite holiday, then you are, you know, you're taking Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of that of that week, you know, and maybe you're going out for the parade, but that is it, right? You need to sort of share with your staff, what are some of your deal breakers? Um, and you need to say to your team, no, on Sundays until 10 o'clock, like it's me and my kid in cartoons that morning. And you have to really set those boundaries up front and you have to put a campaign team or a volunteer team together that really understands and respects those boundaries. Um, and then if you have some issues within your own campaign, you have to like quickly fire. Um, that was something that we found really interesting that folks were, because they were first time candidates, sort of putting a campaign team together and really deferring to some of these, you know, campaign managers or folks that the party had sent them um, who were not fitting with their values or not fitting with the way they wanted to run their campaigns um, and letting, you know, having to let them go rather quickly rather quickly. And then a few of the women, anecdotally, I will say, probably let folks stay on a little bit too long. And so that was something we learned from that first wave. Great that, advice. Yeah. Yeah. That it's really important that, that you jive with some of the people who are representing mm -hmm. you. Well, and just knowing that like, just because you don't jive with them, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. <laughs> I think that's always, at least that's always how I feel that it's like, Oh my God, it's like such an insult. And it's like, well, no, they want to be happy at work yeah. too. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, I will wrap up soon, just a couple more questions. But one that I had um was, you know, I think that there's a lot of obviously sort of backlash to this very kind of like female-centric approach to a lot of things in our world right now um just in terms of like is it actually giving women like is it an out you know like the the list goes on and on but what i'm curious about is avo run lead what, you know what is the is there a male presence within vote run lead and if there is or if there isn't what do you kind of feel sometimes are the like misconceptions about what you guys are doing especially as it relates to sort of um this criticism of like gendering everything or you know, mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. that stereotype would be. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, this year was a big year for us to really um, deepen uh, our own examination of our values, um, you know, kicking off, unfortunately, with, uh, you know, the pandemic uh, and then the murder of George Floyd um, and how uh, women's leadership really intersects with racial justice, how women's leadership intersects with, um, you know, marginalized, most marginalized communities, um, how it intersects with even the political parties, right? And the sort of manipulation, if you will, of, hey, look, well, we have a woman, um, so don't you support all women? I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that, right? That being a women's organization means you have to support all women with this uh, sort of blanket approach, Um you know, even the hashtag believe women got turned into believe all women. Right. And that's, there's some nuance there. It's not even nuance. It's like, it's just strategy and smarts, right? It doesn't make any sense for somebody to like marketing of something, right? Where, so for us, it's what, are, what are the conditions? Um, not, you know, yes, we need to see a flood of women running for office. Right. And those women of course need to have a diversity of perspective. You don't want some, you know, everybody who thinks alike, 
in, in leadership at all. Um, so we want a diversity of those opinions coming out and we trust women to, you know, assign the label to them that, that fits best for whatever communities they're in. But two, you know, we also took a hard look at some of the systemic reforms that need to happen. Um, you know, whether it's the electoral college on the, on the federal level or things like ranked choice voting, where we actually see more women and people of color do better in elections because there isn't this sort of cutthroat, I need to get to 51 plus, you know, 51%. Um, I can actually speak well about my opponent um, and ask for our folks' second vote. You know, it sort of offers a, a different kind of... Um, a different kind of set of conditions in which you're running and an opportunity for the voters to get to know more candidates, which is, which always is, is, is better for women who are tend to be less funded and less have less name recognition as well as folks of color. Um, and then third, it's sort of, who are we, what are our values? Right. Um, and, you know, at the heart of it, they're just good old fashioned feminist values. <laughs> you know, we, we want the same sort of, um, you know, I want somebody who's going to turn around and sort of lengthen the ladder, open the door, you know, widen the path for other women behind them. Um, and if you're working on stuff or you're putting on policy, putting out policies that is, are closing the door behind you that are making life harder for, you know, young girls of color to do what your daughter gets to do as a white woman, then you're not actually keeping the door open. Right. Um, and so it's, there's some, I'm saying that in a really basic way. Of course, it's much more complicated, especially as you get down to some of these deeper policies. But it's it's really about the conditions, right? How do we create the conditions and how, how do we have women who are willing to have more complicated policymaking, who understand why, you know, the budget is just as important as, as girls' education, right? Those two things are deeply connected. Um, why a you know young nine-year-old black girl getting maced by the cops is important to somebody across the country who may not have any kids right a white woman with with no children right these these things are all connected um and so we're looking for folks who are willing to be on that journey with us um who are sort of committing to a larger set of values like we're not interested in you know over your shoulder when you do your policy making, but there's gotta be a frame, an equitable frame in which you're looking at the world. Um, you know, if you didn't come out of last year thinking like that, then, you know, there, we have a lot of work to do. And it is very clear that we have a lot of work to do um, because there are folks, and we saw it with the expulsion, well, not the expulsion, the um, stripping of Marjorie Taylor Greene's committee chairs, right? You can't walk around, um, hopefully not anymore, you can't walk around saying things that are not factually true, right? And dismissing the lived experiences of like kids at the Parkland shooting. Th there's gotta be real consequences for that. And when we're looking for women um, who are willing to, you know, think differently as they, as they move forward. It's, uh, you know, you said about um, us all being connected and someone across the country cares about what's going on over there. You know, we've noticed that on our platform where people are telling us, oh, I really like this person in Nebraska and I never ever would have heard of them before. Yes. So it's, it's, we do live in this world that is so connected. Yeah. You know, we're kind of getting to the end of this and I, um, I wanted to ask your advice for, you know, what your advice would be to younger women who are interested in politics. As, as Anna mentioned, we have a lot of young women on our platform. Almost 80% of our users are women. And uh, a lot of them are in high school who are doing, you know, who are running in 
you know, their ASPs or they're in positions right now. And you see the political spectrum today. It's a little disenfranchised. People don't know where to start. Uh, so what would your advice be to them? A couple things. One is, you know, you have what it takes. You are enough, right? That message applies to young women in, in high school as it does to, you know, retirees who are thinking maybe I should, you know, sit on the city council. Um, that That's a big one. And that's really one you, you have to tell yourself every day. You have to um, really learn to value the skills that, that you bring to the table. Um, so, that's one. The second one is, you know, keep that networking list, you know, a really practical one is just keeping those tabs of folks that you've interacted with over the years, you know, a, a favorite teacher, a someone who has gone the extra mile for you, um, because, you know, politics, of course, is about people, right? Running for office about representing people and just um, keeping folks in your network in a healthy way. Uh, women tend to think about networks as sort of transactional and icky and, uh, you know, oh, I'm, am I using this person? It's like, no, there's a genuine interest in folks helping other people, folks helping you. Um, and, and you don't learn that really, I think, until you're a bit older. But for now, sort of keep that file, keep that those tabs on folks that you appreciate and folks that you, um, you know, want to be more like, you know, and sort of admire their leadership. Um, and, and as we're seeing a lot of young folks do, like question how things are done. You know, just because it's been always done this way doesn't mean that's the best way to do it. Um, and that I, there's going to be a lot of reimagining and reshaping of our democracy in the next, I think, 10, 20 years. Um, a lot of systemic reforms are coming. We need folks who understand how the levers of the system work. Um, and so to keep that imagination open about um, how our democracy might sort of reform itself or rejigger itself in a way that, um, you know, we sort of know the promise of America to be, you know, like the, the thing we care deeply about is, um, is comes from how we operate. And so be thinking about that sort of operating system of our democracy. Mm, I feel like ready to go, ready to attack my day now. <laughs> yeah. um, no, that's, that's so great. And I love what you said about, about networking. Cause I think it is something that's traditionally, um, seen as kind of like slimy or something. And, um, to realize that, you know, people and then the result is that women end up with closed networks, meaning that uh, women's networks are folks who know each other and men end up with what's called open networks where mm -hmm. the people in their network don't know each other. So if you want to dig into that, you can you can dig into open versus closed networks. You want an open network where then down the line you're making connections between cool people who don't always know each other. Right. To be that like centerpiece. I mean, that's the definition of a politician, right? You want to be <laughs> for sure between all your people. Well, Aaron, thank you so much um, for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, this was incredibly inspiring and informative and we're, we're very um, proud of what you're doing with Vote Run Lead. Um, and we're just thrilled to learn a little bit more about it. Well, please, for anybody, young folks who want to head over to VoteRunLead.org, we built a beautiful um, set of curriculum this year um, called Your Kitchen Cabinet, which was like every woman's virtual campaign team. So how to do all this while COVID is happening. Um, and then we we created a series called The Democracy We Deserve, where we look back historically um, on how we got here. And it was illuminating for me, um, you know, and I was a political science major, right? So um, sort of knowing where we've been is always really helpful. And then another great group for high school students is called Ignite National. Um, they're a great partner of ours. They really focus on high school and college age women um, and just another resource for your community.
Awesome. Well, we'll link to all of all of those. Um, and it was it was great to talk to you and to meet you and to, yes. to hear more about your mission. Thank you so much, Aaron. Joanna, really appreciate hey. it. We'll and good luck. Soon. Good luck with your next baby. Yeah. yeah. Coming yeah. soon. Congratulations. Coming soon. In advance. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you.